welcome to the Glow Podcast with Dr. Land. Our purpose is to inspire and equip you to live a purposeful and maximized life that makes a glowing difference in your world to God's glory. For more inspiring content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now let's listen in and be inspired. I want to, I want to uh, speak on what I titled uh, Seven Acts of God's Grace. So this month, I'm going to be teaching from the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. This year, we've been studying different books of the Bible. Last month, we studied 2 Corinthians. The month before, we studied the book of Colossians. Now, we're moving into the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to be uh, doing some studies throughout this month from the book of Ephesians. But today... I want to talk uh, about seven acts of God's grace from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. But before I go into that, uh, let me just quickly give us uh, the, just the background of the book of Ephesians so that we can understand how relevant it is to what is going on, uh, I mean, what is happening right now, our world right now, and how uh, it's going to be relevant to the things that we're going to be studying um, in this age. It's always good for you to know the context of what you are studying so that you can properly apply scriptures and we've been trying to do that. So first of all, um, you know, the book of uh, sorry, uh, Ephesians um, is one of those uh, letters of Paul. Uh, we, we call them the prison letters of Paul. The prison letters of Paul. Paul wrote uh, some letters from prison and they were Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. So four of them he wrote them from prison. He wrote some other letters, you know, but he wrote uh, these four letters while he was in prison in Rome. Um, in Acts chapter 29, the Bible tells us, that's how the book of Acts actually ended. The Bible tells us that Paul was put in house arrest there. And, you know, he was, he was able to, you know, to, to be there in the house. He was able to write, he was able to speak, but he didn't let him leave the house. It was from that place that he wrote those four books that I just talked about, including the book of Ephesians. And it was a writing to churches that he had, he had planted or some of the people that he, uh, he impacted had gone to plant. But he was talking, uh, for, the, for, the, for the book of Ephesians, he was speaking to a church that he had planted. And the story of uh, the starting of this church was in Acts chapter 19 and then Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 19, Paul got to a particular, got to Ephesus and met just a few believers there that they had known about, you know, John the Baptist, but they didn't know about, you know, salvation in Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. And Paul spoke to them, laid hands on them, and they got filled with the Spirit. And then Paul stayed in Ephesians, in Ephesus for, you know, for a period of some years. And so many mighty miracles were taking place. Revivals were taking place. And of course, whenever there's revival, there will be rioting. Let me pause, you know, to say that I actually didn't plan to say that um, to say to say that today, but the Spirit of God is actually telling me to say that. If you could go to Acts chapter 19, it's not in my in my um, it's not in my outline, but Acts chapter 19, there's something that just came to my mind right now that I want, you know, I wanted to speak about. I just wanted to say that whenever there's a revival in the spirit, whenever there's something that is happening in the spirit, there will be riots in the in the physical. So I want you to understand that some of the riots and the demonstrations and some of the, the things that have taken place this past week, they are a pointer to something that is taking place in the spirit. So let's, let's, let's go down in Acts chapter 19. Um, let's, let's try uh, reading from verse, you know, let's start from verse, maybe, maybe like verse 25. It should be around verse 25. Um, so... Actually, let, let, let's start from verse 19 to see the revival part, first of all. You know, see the revival part. Um, so, Paul was talking, I mean, God was talking about the fact that when Paul was preaching in Ephesus, you know, God was doing mighty miracles through Paul. A lot of wonderful things were happening to the point that, uh, go, 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 go up a little bit, uh, go, go up to verse, um, verse 18 so that we can get, um, you know, the full 
you know, and so, so many believers were confessing their simple practices. Paul was doing miracles, like anointed miracles. God was doing many miracles through the hand of Paul. Revival was breaking down in Ephesians. Many believers confessed their simple practices. Verse 19, verse 19, a number of them who had practiced sorcery brought their incantation books. They burned them at the public bonfire. The value of the book was several million dollars. And so the, he said the message of the Lord spread widely and it had a powerful effect. So there was a revival that was going on in the spiritual aspect. But then, whenever there's revival, there is always a counter thing. Something happens in the physical because the devil is not happy. And look at what happens in this place in verse 21. It says, After war, four people confirmed by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome and so on. So, uh, so let, let, let's go down further to verse 20, 24. To verse 24. So it began that it began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other employed in similar trade and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen or heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that and made gods and really gods at all. And he has done this not only in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. But of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the two great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. And, and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worship throughout the province of Asia and all around this world will be robbed of our great prestige. And as their anger boiled, they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29, soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Look at that. The city was experiencing revival just a moment ago. And then look at the next thing. The city was filled with confusion. Please go back. Was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along girls and who were Paul's traveling com companion from Macedonia. Verse 30, Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers would not let him. Verse 31, Verse 31, some of the officials of the promised friend of Paul also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Verse 32, inside the people were all shouting. Some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know where they were there. Most of them didn't know where they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But the crowd realized that he was a Jew. They started shouting again and they kept it up for two hours. Great attempts. So listen. What happened was that there was revival and then there was a riot. There was revival, there was a riot. Now, they, you know, this is two different things. Some of the, I mean, the demonstration that have taken place this past week is for a just cause, right? But I'm just trying to get everybody to see things from a spiritual perspective. That while all those things were, are going on, why it seems as if there's confusion in the society, while it seems as if everything is in tumult and there was demonstration and there was a riot, there is something else that is going on. There's something that the devil is scared of. And that was the fact that there was a revival. There was, a, there was something that was going on that was getting people converted. And it was getting people to turn to God. So I want to tell you right now that what we have experienced, what we have experienced was a physical manifestation of a spiritual victory. Of a spiritual victory. Something fresh is coming upon the nation. Something fresh is coming upon your family. Some things that have been long-standing, that have been there, like this, like what, is, what happened in, in Ephesus. Some things that, you know, the devil has erected in the society. In this case, it is Artemis, that God. Some things that have been erected in society that people defer to, that have been in control of, of Ephesus. Those things were turned around. Because of God's gospel, of the gospel of God, because of the power of God. And I want to announce to you also that some things that have been entrenched in this nation, something that have been entrenched in your family, something that have been entrenched in our society, God is uprooting them. God is uprooting them, and there's a revival that is taking place. There's a restoration that is taking place. There's a new thing that is bursting forth. And the devil is not happy about it. The devil is not happy about it. So that's why he's trying to sow some confusion in the nation. But I'm here to announce to you, restoration is coming. Renewal is here. And revival 
is breaking forth. There's a revival of reconciliation. There's a revival of God's justice. The kingdom of God is, is, is showing forth. And we're going to see what God is going to do in the remaining part of this year. So that, that was something that just came to my mind. It wasn't part of my message, you know, originally. But I just, you know, felt I should share that with you. So as you can see, the book of, uh, sorry, the, 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 the city of Ephesus, you know, was a very idolatrous city. It was a large city. It was a multi-ethnic city. You know, it was, the, it was a center of trade in Asia Minor, Western Asia Minor in those days. It was a place of commerce. It was a place of culture. It was a place, you know, where, I mean, where, you know, they worshipped, you know, all kinds of gods. But the main god that they used to worship then is this Artemis, uh, which is also called, which is called Diana, you know, with the Romans. It was, it was supposed to be the goddess of, of, uh, of fertility, you know, the goddess of the moon and all that. So it was a place where, you know, they, you know, they worshipped that. It was the goddess of, of, of uh, fertility, femininity and all, you know, all those stuff. So, that's what they were worshiping in Ephesus. And Paul now comes, you know, with the gospel. So a lot of, you know, magic, a lot of, you know, spiritualism going on in there. And within the church also, the church was experiencing that. You know, people believe that, you know, Artemis, you know, Artemis is one of the sons, you know, according to Greek mythology, it's one of the, daughter, one of the daughters of Zeus. You know, and that she, she came, she fell down from heaven and all that. And so they were worshiping, you know, worshiping, uh, worshiping her. You know, so there was a lot of belief in the supernatural, a lot of belief in, in just so many things. So Paul was writing a letter to this kind of environment. And what did Paul tell them in the book of, of, um, of Ephesus, which is what we're studying this week? The simple message of Paul to them in the book of Ephesus is that despite the complexity of your society, des despite the confusion, uh, taking place, despite what happened after I had gone and had left and what is going on in your city and all the different challenges of your city, there is one thing that you can depend on. There's one thing that you can live by and you can experience the victory of God and that is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. So it was the theme, the central theme of the book of Ephesians is that the great in what the grace of God has provided for us, what the grace of God has given to us so that we can be able to live victoriously in this world, in the complex world. And then he now shows us in the second part of the book how we can practically walk in this grace. So there are two parts to the book of Ephesians. The first part talks about the things that grace has provided for us, tells us about grace. And the second part now tells us how we can activate, how we can actualize how we can appropriate that grace in our lives. Amen. And then Paul, the book was so very, I mean, it was very good because Paul goes from personal, then he moves to corporate. He goes to church, then he moves to family, he goes to city, and so on. How we can walk in the grace of God in a complex world where there are many complex issues and things that are going on. So I know that message is relevant to us in Chicago. That message is really relevant to us in America. That message of Ephesians is relevant to us in whichever nation that you are from. Whatever nation you are from, this message is relevant. And it's the message of the grace of God. It's showing us how to live in the grace of God. Why? You know, what the, what the grace of God is all about. It tells us the cause and it tells us the effect. Hallelujah. So that's what we're going to be doing this month, you know, as an introduction. So today, I want to quickly talk about Ephesians chapter 1. There were seven, uh, seven acts of grace that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at them today. And I believe that you are going to be blessed. So the first one is the articulation of grace. Now, what do I mean by the articulation of grace? What is grace? Before we talk about anything, we need to know what it's all about. We use that word a lot. We pray. You know, we start our services. We hand, we hand meetings with it. We say the grace. We, we do all that. What is grace? So what is grace? What does this word grace mean? So in the same book of Ephesians, Paul explains to us what grace means. So we can see what grace means before he now starts talking about what grace does and how to walk in grace. He tells us what grace is all about. So let's look at it. The first thing is that grace is a part of God's character. Grace 
is a part of God's character. We're talking about the grace show this month. Grace is a part of God's character. Just like every one of us, we have certain characteristics. We have certain things that are part of our nature. When you meet somebody, you can see some things about their nature. Whatever is part of your nature, you act that way. So the first thing we need to know is that grace is a part of God's nature, God's character. And we're going to see why that is very important. In Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 5 to 6, Paul says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In in, In accordance with his pleasure and will. So when you start talking about somebody's pleasure and will, you are talking about something that is part of them. So when we talk about God's grace, grace is God. Grace is what God, you know, is part of God. It's who God is. It's, it's God acting out his nature. God is a gracious God. God is a kind God. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 says, He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God is kind. God is kind to us. God is kind to you. Maybe you've seen God as, as, uh, as a different kind of God. Sometimes when you look at what is happening in the world, you know, you, you may come to that conclusion and say, does God really care? You know, does God really care? Today I want to tell you that God doesn't just love you. God likes you. God doesn't just love you. He also likes you. God is kind. God is the kindness being that exists. Kindness is part of of his nature. Ephesians 2 7 repeats the same thing, the same thing of kindness. He said, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is kind. God is kind. I want you to repeat that to yourself. God is kind to me. God is naturally predisposed to help me. That is what grace is. God's natural predisposition to help people. God's natural predisposition to raise people. God's natural predisposition to to solve problems for people. God's natural predisposition to favor people. God is naturally predisposed to help. God is naturally predisposed. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to cajole him. You don't have to whine him. God is naturally predisposed to help. So we need to start taking advantage of that because God wants to help. You know, like you have somebody who, who, who loves you, somebody who is there, who always wants to help you, wants to assist you with whatever you are doing. And then, you know, you, you are doubting that person's help or you don't allow that person to help you. And the person has the capacity and the ability to help you. And it's just the nature of that person to help. I know some people that are like that. They just want to help. They just want to assist. They just want to, you know, they just love to help people. Listen, that's from God. But God is the greatest helper that exists. I want to tell you that God wants to help you this month. God wants to help you no matter where you are right now. No matter what is going on in your life right now, God is naturally predisposed to help us. God is like a father. God is like a mother that is looking for a way to assist, to help their ch- uh, his children. It is his nature. Grace is the nature of God. You know, David experienced something in the book of First, you know, First Chronicles 21. You know, David went to number Israel when God told him not to number Israel. And as a result, there was a plague, you know, that started killing people. You know, a lot of things, you know, started happening then. And then, you know, so there was, there was an option that was given to David. They said, do you want, you are going to be punished for this thing. Do you want to fall into the hand of, you know, this person or that person or that person or that person or whatever? David made a statement. You know, look at it. He said, he said I'm in great di- distress in verse 13. Please let me fall into the hand of God. For his mercy are very, mercies are very great. Don't let me fall into the hand of man. David had a revelation that if I can just, if I fall into the hand of God, I know that there's a, there's a, part, there's a part of the nature of God that I can appeal to that is his grace and his mercy. You know, I mean, how many of you, you know, you, you, maybe when you were in school, 
you, you know, you, you had, you know, something happened, I'd be like, you know, I think I prefer to just have this particular teacher, or I just, you know, I prefer to have this particular person to be the one that will handle my situation, or at work, I prefer to have this particular boss, because you know that that person is pre naturally predisposed to help you. David also knew that God was naturally predisposed to help him, so he chose God. He chose God. Hallelujah! He chose God. So, grace is an expression of God's nature. It's a part of God's nature. Part of God's nature. In John chapter 1 verse 14, you know, John says that Jesus Christ, you know, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Say the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten son of God. John 1 14 and verse 17. Oh, the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. That Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, you know, from the, I mean, verse 17, grace and truth. You know, law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is God's grace. I want you to know that, that the grace we're talking about, this show that God is going to do in your life, is just a manifestation of the nature of, of, the nature of God. It's what God loves to do. God does grace. God lives grace. God is grace. God is gracious. God is full of grace. God is full of kindness. And that is what we are experiencing in the name of Jesus. It's an expression of God's character. So another definition of grace, grace is, you know, is a gift that God gives. Grace is a gift that God gives. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 says, May our God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. So it's something, grace is something that God gives. gives. Also, Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. This is, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. So another definition of grace is love gifts. Love gift. Grace carries. Uh, the Greek is carries love gifts. Gift of love. Gift of love. Favor shown because somebody just loves you. God is love, so he shows favors. He's disposed to favors. It's gift that God gives us because of his love for us, because of his, because of his kindness uh, towards us. So grace is a gift. Another definition has been used is that grace is unmerited favor or unearned favor. So grace is not something that you work for. Grace is not something that you qualify for. Grace is something that God, somebody just decides to show to you. It's a favor that is just shown to you, not because you qualify for it, not because you deserve it. It is just somebody just looked and looks at you and said, I think I want to favor you. I think I want to favor you. So God looks at the entire world. God looks at the entire world before the foundation of the world because he can see the future, he can see the past, he can see the present. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The first and the last, the beginning and the ending and everything. So God saw everything and he says, you know what? I choose you. I choose you. I choose to show favor to this person. You know, it's not qualified for it. She's not qualified for it. There's no qualification from your, from, from your own side. I qualify you. I show you my grace. It is something that I just bestow upon you because of who I am, not because of who you are. So it is unmerited favor. It is unmerited favor. Hallelujah. But one of the most powerful um, articulation of grace in the book of Ephesians. It's actually in, Eph in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It, it said, All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. So grace, I want to say this way, grace is the blessing of all blessings. Grace is the blessings of what? Is the blessing of all blessings. So, blessing singular of all blessings. Grace is the blessing of all blessings. So, it says that has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Just imagine it's Christmas time and there's a Christmas uh, tree in there. And then there was certain, you know, there was a certain gift in there. And they said the gift is waiting for you. But this time around, this is not just, you know, some gift. This is a gift that contains anything that you have been wrapped inside it. 
It's been wrapped inside what is called the grace of God. So as you, as you open it, you will find healing there. You'll find salvation there. You will find uh, financial, uh, financial abundance there. You will find help. You will find assistance when you need to do anything. When you need to, when you need to serve God or, or carry out something that you cannot do in your own. You'll find it inside that gift. That's what grace is. It is the blessing of our blessing. So Paul was saying that in the spiritual realm, that's what the heavenly realms mean. In the spiritual realm, so we have this earthly physical realm and we have the spiritual dimension. It says in the grace of God, everything that we need for life, everything that you will ever need, God has put it inside this gift of grace. So right, and he has now said it is all yours. It is all yours under the Christmas of the universe. He put his grace in there and now says all these things belong to you. What you need to do is to unwrap it for the rest of your life. Just keep unwrapping it. And listen, it is infinite. It can never be exhausted. Paul uses words like the inexhaustible riches of God's grace. Inexhaustible. Incomparable riches of God's grace. It can never be exhausted. It can never be exhausted because God is El Shaddai. When you think that you have tapped into the grace of God, there's more grace for you. There's more grace for you. If you think you have got into one level and you think you have reached the pinnacle of God's grace, you are not there yet. You are not there yet. There's more grace. There's more grace available for you. For whatever you need to do. For whatever you need for life. For anything that you are going through right now. There's much more grace available for you than you can ever imagine or be able to utilize on this earth. You are graced. You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. This month, I want you to begin to declare that. I want you to begin to walk in that and just unwrap the gift. Every day, unwrap the gift of grace. When you face a situation that you cannot handle, unwrap the gifts of grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There's grace for every situation. There's grace for every circumstance. There's grace for anything that you need to do. There's grace for your relationship. There's grace for your spiritual work. There's grace for your financial work. There's grace for your career. There's grace that gives you direction, that gives you purpose, that strengthens you, that holds you up, that guides you, that leads you, that supports you, that protects you. There is abundant grace for you that can never be exhausted. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And that blessing is the grace of God. So now that we know what grace is, let's look at some of, the, some of these gifts. Let's unwrap some of these gifts today. Let's unwrap some of them. So the first one, uh, in the book of Acts chapter, sorry, in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins to unwrap some of the things that the grace of God did. Now, I want to say something. So I'm going to what I call the hearts of grace. I want to say something to you. This thing that I'm going to be talking about, there are things that have been accomplished. They are not things that you have to pray for God to do. These are things that God has already done through his grace and he has now put it together for you. These are the spiritual blessings that he was talking about that you can take advantage of this month and for the rest of your life. Okay? So let's look at, let's look at some of them. The first thing Paul says is this. When he talked about uh, the act of grace, it's grace chose us. The first thing is that God chose us. I want you to say it wherever you are saying, I am chosen. I am chosen. If that is so powerful, it will take you meditating a bit upon that for you to get what we're talking about. So look at the way he says it in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. He said, even before he made the world, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Before he made the world, he chose us. He chose us. If you are listening to me here, I want you to know that you are, let me say it this way, you are a survivor. You know, they say that before you came into this world, when, you know, um, when the sperm was released and all that, they said there were millions of sperms that were released. But only you made it. Do you know the reason why you made it? Because you were the one chosen. You were the one chosen. So from the womb, from the womb, even before you enter into the womb, actually even before the womb, you have been chosen. You did not just appear in this world by accident. You were chosen out of a multitude that could have existed. Out of other people that could have come, other combinations that could have come. You were the one that made it. You are the one that won the race. You are the one that made it. I want to tell you, through the, the grace of God that allowed you to make it, that allowed you to show forth, that same, that same grace of God is going to help you to walk in victory throughout the rest of your life. 
that same grace that preferred you, that allows you to come, that same grace is going to sustain you and to keep you. So don't ever, if you are watching me right now, you, think, you feel your life is, is meaningless. You feel that, you know, I just don't know why I'm here on the earth. You need to find out why. Because you are here for a particular reason. Because you survived. You made it. You made it. Some people did not make it. You were the one that made it. There was a rest. There was a rest. There was a choice that needed to be made. And you were the one that was chosen to exist. Now, the same thing happened when it comes to salvation. Do you know how many people are in this world right now who have not received Jesus as the Lord of their lives? Who, are, who don't have a relationship with God? But you have a relationship with God if you are watching me. You are chosen. If you are watching me right now and God is convicting your heart, God is drawing you because you have been chosen. Because nobody can come to him except the Father first draws him. You've been chosen to experience the grace of God, to experience salvation, to experience certain things. You were chosen. I want you to believe it and say it. You see, grace is like a king who looks at, at the subject and then picks one. We see that being illustrated many times in the Old Testament. Esther, there were many women that the king should have chosen. But then the king chose Esther. Mary was chosen among many women. He said, you are blessed among women. You are chosen among women. I want you to know also that out of a lot of people, you were chosen. You were chosen for salvation. You were chosen for purpose. You were chosen for a reason. It is because God is showing grace to you. The king loves you. The king is kind towards you. And that's why he chose you. I want you to know that you were chosen. Hallelujah. 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 Paul used the same thing concerning his calling in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. He said this letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God. Chosen by the will of God. Chosen by the will of God. It was God's will that chose you. It wasn't you that chose yourself. It was God that chose you. We are chosen. Hallelujah. Amen. Number two, the second act of God's grace that Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, you are predestined. Grace predestined us. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. It predestined us to the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. It predestined us for adoption to sonship. Let me tell you what that means. See, that word predestined in the Greek means, you know, it's a combination of two words in the Greek. One that says before, and the other one that says horizon, which is like horizons. Before horizon. Before horizon. In other words, basically, what the word means is that, you know, to determine, horos is to determine, to determine, to determine the boundary, horos boundary, to determine, or to determine the boundary of something. To determine the boundary, to mark the boundary or the limit of a place or of a thing or a person in advance. Listen, this is so exciting. I want you to know that you are not living in America. You are in America. You are not living in America by, ch by chance. You are not living in this generation by chance. All the things that are happening right now that you are, that you are seeing, it is not by chance. God predestined your existence at this time. God predestined. God set the boundaries of your habitation. God set the boundaries of your life. God chose some things concerning you and predestined you for something. He, 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 he put you into a sphere. He predestined the sphere that you are going to express your destiny. I want to tell you that one of the gifts of God's grace is this gift of purpose. You are not here by accident. You are here for a divine purpose. There's a calling of God upon your life. There's something that grace has given you to do. There's an assignment that grace has given you to do. There's some places that grace has called you to get to. There's some people that grace has called you to reach. There's some experiences that grace has predestined you to experience. It's time to begin to say, right now, I'm going to begin to delve into these things that have been predestined for me. I'm going to ask the Lord to open my eyes so that I can see the riches of his glory. And I can see his, his exciting plans for me so that I can begin to go on this adventure. This adventure of destiny. There's a destiny for you. It is yours. You will be destined for it because God loves you and because God is kind towards you. God gave you a unique purpose. You don't have to look around at somebody else and say, what's that person doing? You don't have to look around. You don't have to feel inferior. God has something for you and he predestined you for it. It's time for you to begin that adventure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number three, God adopted us. Grace adopted us. Paul said grace adopted us. So that predestination I was talking about, he said he, he predestined us for adoption. Look at it. You know, in verse 9, 
also verse, uh, verse 5. It said, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure. You know, God was enjoying this when He was planning it. Now, listen, you know what adoption means? Adoption, you are, a lot of people are familiar with adoption. It's very similar to what they used to practice, practice when Paul wrote this. Adoption is when somebody takes a child that is not related biologically and takes that person from somewhere and brings that person and signs a legal document and makes that person uh, a, a, a son or a daughter. And then from the moment that that person is adopted, that person becomes a heir to the person, becomes somebody that can take over the property as the name of the person and is totally, legally, completely a child and a son before everybody, before the, 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 the person who adopted, before other people, before the law, the person is a part of that person's family. Now, there's another thing about our own adoption from, from God. Number one, first of all, God, God regenerated us. God made us his children, made us his children by nature. You know, through the sacrifice of Jesus. But we also experience this adoption, the benefit of adoption. Which means right now, a friend, because of God's grace, God looked at you. You were fatherless. God looked at you. You are directionless. And God said, I adopt you into my family. I want you to know that you are part of the family of grace. You are part of the family of God. You are part of the family. You are part of a rich family. Can you imagine if uh, Bill Gates adopted you? How you are going to be living? How you are going to be talking? You know, can, can you imagine? You know, if you were adopted, you know, by... By, by a very wealthy person, how you are going to be living, how you are going to be talking. I want you to know that the wealthiest person, the wealthiest person, the kindest person in the universe has adopted you. You are a child of God. No wonder Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 that we have the spirit, we have received the spirit of adoption. Not the spirit of fear again, but the spirit of adoption. He said we have not received the spirit that makes us fearful slaves, but instead we have received God's spirit. Where they are as his own children, now we call him Abba Father. You can go to God in prayer and say, Daddy, 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 you are adopted. The same way my kids, they can be bold before me. They can run into my room. They can jump upon my bed. They can come to me at any time and say, Daddy, I want to see you. No matter what I'm doing, the same way you can go to your father and you can receive grace. This month you can take anything that is going on in your life and go to your father and say, Daddy, I am your child legally. I have an inheritance. I have an inheritance. I have some inheritance. I have a relationship with you. Daddy, show up on my behalf. Daddy, I received this. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son that everybody criticizes. He was actually the one who knew how to walk in the inheritance. He was the one that knew that the father had something. Went to claim what the father had. Now, if he had stayed with the father and didn't use it the wrong way, it would have been great. But the one that was at home, the elder brother, he was there, but he didn't know what he had. He didn't know the right of grace that he had. So he was just there walking and walking and walking. So when he saw the father showing grace to the prodigal son again, he's like, with you, but you're not doing anything. You didn't do any party for me. That's all I have is yours. Don't be like the elder brother. Don't be like the other brother. Don't, don't, don't just keep trying to walk to please God, to try to do things so that you can earn the favor of God. I want you to know the Father loves you. The Father favors you. The Father wants to throw a party concerning you. The Father wants to renew you. The Father wants to throw a party concerning you this month. The Father is excited about you. Everything that you need is already yours in the household of the Father. Oh, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. Number four, grace purchased our freedom. Grace purchased our freedom. Grace purchased our freedom. This way. It says, so we praise God the glorious, for the glorious grace he has poured on us. We belong to his dear son. For he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. Look at me. I want you to know that your freedom has been purchased. The word used here for purchase is the word that they used in secular Greek then. It was a technical uh, term for paying money to buy back and to set free prisoners of war or to emancipate or liberate people. So if somebody, somebody was a prisoner of war, they would go and pay to buy that person back. So what he's saying here is that we were all prisoners. We were prisoners to sin. We were prisoners to the law. We were prisoners, we were prisoners uh, under, under, the, under the dominion of Satan. 
But God came and says, Lord, these ones I predestined them, I called them, I'm taking them back. And he paid the price to his justice through the blood of Jesus Christ. And listen right now, your debt is paid in full. There's no longer any fight between you and God anymore. There's no peace between you and God. Right now, the price has been paid. You are completely free. You are completely emancipated through the grace of the living God. And he forgave all your sins, past, present, and future. He forgave every one of them. He paid the price for your past sin, for your current sin, for your... And he says, right now, I'm not going to deal with you based on sin anymore. You are now my children. I'm dealing with you based on my grace. Somebody needs to say it. Say, I am bought and purchased. I'm legally owned by God right now. Satan has no lot in my life. Grace has purchased me. Hallelujah. Number, number five. Grace secured us. Grace secured us. You know, one of the things that used to bother me when I first became a believer, when I began to learn about who I was in Christ, I always had that thing that what if I lose it? What if I'm up now as a Christian? And, and then I just lose God's favor. Maybe I commit a sin or I make a mistake and then suddenly God disowns me. Listen, how many of you would like, would like a father that every time you make a mistake, say, I will disown you. I'm going to disown you because of your mistake. I can never do that to my children because that's not fatherhood. How can you attribute that to God? That every time somebody makes a mistake, they are disowned by God. God says, if earthly father know how to give good things to their children, how much more will the heavenly father give good things to those who love him? One of the things that God did to prove to us that he will never leave us, nor abandon us, he will never forsake us, is he gave us what is called a seal or a guarantee. That's what Paul was talking about here in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1 from verse 13. Look at it. He said, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that, the good news that God saves you. He said, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Look at that, verse 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he had promised, that he has purchased to be, that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we will praise and glorify him. Listen, it's time for the praise and worship and the glorification because, listen, not only do you have all these things, but they are secured. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not anything in your past, in your present, in the future. Not all the things happening in society right now can separate us from the love of God, which he has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are inseparable. You are secured. Your salvation is secured. Your healing is secured. Your sonship and your being a daughter of God is secured. You are sealed. Every time you feel the spirit in you, every time you speak in tongues, or every time you see the Holy Spirit moving, let me remind you, that's a deposit of God as a guarantee. As a guarantee. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the handness of our inheritance, the deposit of our inheritance. When you want to buy a house, when you want a house, what you do is that you put the harness down, and then you say, we'll pay the rest when it's time for closing. God put the harness down to show you that, listen, get a foretaste of heaven. Get a foretaste of the kingdom, but there's something great that is still to come. But I want to put that inside of you so that you can know there's more to come, so that you can know that you belong to me. The Holy Spirit is God's deposit. It's God's seal. It's God's guarantee that he has already purchased you. He has already bought you, and there's going to come a time when you are going to be fully, 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 completely expressed before him. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you are sealed. You are secured. It is one of the gifts of the grace of God. It's one of the acts of the grace of God. Number six, and I have one more after this. Number six. God rest us. God rest us. God elevated us. Grace elevated us. Grace rest us. Look at it. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ, Jesus. So God can point to us. Somebody said after me, say, God is pointing to me. He said, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples 
of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all that he has done, who are united with Christ Jesus. Listen, there's, there's a story in the Old Testament of David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the, ch- was the child of, uh, of, of uh, was one of the descendants of Saul. And Saul, you know who Saul uh, was? You know, and Jonathan. You know, Jonathan was Saul's son, and he was a covenant friend of, 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 of David who died. So David said, let me find anybody who is related to Jonathan. So anyway, just find. And they found Mephibosheth who was lame at his feet. And then David said, bring that Mephibosheth. Bring him from Lodabar and bring him to the king's palace. And he said, from that day, David said, Mephibosheth is going to be eating with me. You don't know what it means to eat with the king in those days. You need to go and watch one of those movies on Netflix. You know, like Last Kingdom and all those things. You see what, what kingship is all about. For you to be eating with the king is the highest honor. Say, so this guy is going to be eating with me, sitting with me. That was an act of God's grace. God is saying the same thing, that this is what God did for us in Christ. God raised us up from our dead nature, and he raised us up to sit together with him in the heavenly places. Now, it is just by God's grace, not because of the way I feel, not because of what I've done. I sit at the table of the master. I sit at the table of God. I enjoy revelation. He set a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil. My cup is over. I'm enjoying revelation. I'm enjoying blessings. I'm enjoying his presence. I'm enjoying fellowship with him. I'm enjoying him. I'm enjoying the flow of God. I'm privileged to be seated at the highest place of power. The highest place of authority. The devil wanted to do that. He's jealous about it. That's why he's causing all the mayhem. But I want you to know that you have been lifted up far above all principalities and powers. You are in the highest place of authority all because of the grace of God. Now, sit at the table. Come on. Stop crawling at the table. Stop feeling uncomfortable. You know, you've, you've been in some places. Huh? You know, they take you there because of favor. And then you are shaking. Why am I here? Why am I here? Come on, enjoy all the meal. Whenever I get the opportunity to, to be taken to somewhere very and I sit at the table, I, I settle down at the table. Amen. Because I know it's God's grace. And I begin to enjoy whatever is at that table. Enjoy where God has put you. Stop complaining as if you're still crawling on the ground. Enjoy because you have been raised up by the grace of God. I've been raised up of all the things going on in this world, above the evils of this world. Hallelujah. Number seven, final one. Grace saved us. Grace saved us. 2 verse 8, Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is grace rescuing us from all the consequences of sin and from the evils of this world. Our salvation is by grace. Totally by grace. It's one of the acts of grace that we have experienced. So listen, I've talked to you about seven acts of grace today and I'm going to repeat them quickly. Uh, The first one is that God... Uh, the first act of grace that God chose you. The second one is that God predestined you. The third one is God adopted you. The fourth one is God purchased your freedom. Grace purchased your freedom. The next one is grace secures you or secured you. And then the final one, and the sixth one, grace erased you. And then the final one is grace saved you. Grace saved you. So what do you do? In conclusion, what do you do with all these things? He said he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heaven. And what do we do with these spiritual blessings? All you need to do is to appropriate it. And that's why my last point, the appropriation of grace. How do you appropriate the grace of God? Very simple. I have just one sentence for you there. How do you do it? You appropriate the grace of God through faith. It is through faith. Listen to me. These things have been given to you. They are past tense. They are past tense. What you do is you accept them, you declare them, and you enjoy them. That's all. Belief precedes fruit. Belief precedes behavior. You first of all, and then it begins to show. Confession leads to reality. Leads to possession. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3 you know, God told Joshua, every place, the sole of your feet 
will tread upon. I have given to you. He didn't say, I will give it to you. He said, I have given to you. In past tense. So, just like God told Joshua that I have given to you, God is saying, I have given these things to you. What you just need to do is right now begin to appropriate this grace. To appropriate means, you know, to begin to di- you know, direct it to a different aspect of your life by believing it. So, listen, that's my final part of my message. As we enter into this month, this month of the grace show, I want you to cease from your labors. I want you to cease from your struggles. And I want you to begin to, to appropriate the grace of God. Begin to declare these things that I'm talking about. Begin to meditate on these things to see all the ramifications and meaning for your own personal life. And boldly come out every day and say, I'm walking in the grace of God. I'm experiencing the grace show. I'm, in, I'm experiencing the grace show. I'm experiencing the grace of God in my life. Renewal is taking place in my life. Revival and restoration is taking place because of the grace of God that is working. I'm experiencing God's favor this month. Begin to declare and begin to see your thoughts change, your behaviors change, and your environment change to begin to reflect these spiritual blessings that God has given us in Christ. So that's the word I have for you today. I want you to bow down your heads wherever you are right now. Let's just pray. Father, I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Thank you for this new month of June. Thank you for the prophecy. Thank you for the word that the time of restoration and renewal has come and that the worst is behind us and that you are making all things new. And that through your grace, we are going to excel. We are going to show. We are going to be a pointer of God's restorative and renewing power. I thank you, Lord, because everybody hearing me right now is going to experience that this month. I thank you for strengthening our faith. I thank you, Lord, for helping us to be able to appropriate this fruit that belongs to us. To begin to enjoy and to declare our relationship with you and the fruit of those relationships. And live it in every aspect of our lives. To the glory of your name. Lord, I thank you. I pray for anybody under the sound of my voice right now who is outside of you. Lord, and you are talking their heart right now. That you have chosen them. That you have called them. Lord, I pray that they will receive you. That they will turn to you. They will dedicate their lives to you and accept you as their Lord. I pray that there will be restoration. You, you, you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and God is touching you right now. All you need to do is just say, Lord, I accept your grace. I accept you as Lord of my life. And I come under your covering. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Globe Podcast. We trust you were blessed and inspired. For more content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Keep glowing. See you next time.